0: On the regenerative journey, our goal is to nurture and facilitate the lives and journeys of all our followers, which is why we've teamed up with Resource Consulting Service, RCS, Australia's leading provider of education and advisory services in regenerative agriculture. RCS trains and consults across the ag sector, from individuals and families, through to corporates and even government, empowering people to grow productive and profitable businesses in diverse and, importantly, healthy landscapes. They understand that the future of healthy families, resilient communities, and regenerative farming lies in holistic education. Over the last 15 years, they've played an integral role in my own regenerative journey. And I have a lot to thank RCS for, and I'm one of 7,500 others who have attended their farming and grazing for profit course. I don't know where I'd actually be. Uh, and I certainly wouldn't be this far down my own regenerative journey if I hadn't completed a significant amount of training with the RCS team. I can't recommend more highly uh, RCS to anyone looking to start their regenerative journey in a supportive and proven environment. Terry, Macoska and your team, you absolutely rock And we're also absolutely stoked to be collaborating with them now. For my listeners only, We're offering a 10% discount on all farming and grazing for profit schools and grazing clinics in Australia this year. If you add this to the early bird rate of a seven-day school, you could get a whopping $1,000 off the standard price. Simply add the code CHARLIERCS, that's CHARLIERCS, that's one word, at the checkout to get your concession. How awesome is that? Now head to the show notes to find out more.
1: Agriculture offers the solutions for so much that's going on in the world right now. Um, and how do we bring that together? How do we help the rest of society heal itself?
2: That was Terry McCosker and you're listening to The Regenerative Journey.
0: And welcome back to the Regenerative Journey. This is part two of the Marathon three hour interview with Terry McCosker. And I trust that you've, oh, you're up to date um, having listened to part one last week. Before I bang on about Terry, just wanted to drop in the um, reference to the RCS conference. Um, Terry, being the founder of RCS here in Australia, uh, and the conference on the seven, 16th and 17th of July. Um, Go to the uh, go to the um, RCS website RCSC 2022 for all the details. Grab your tickets and get yourselves there. It's going to be a ripper of a um, of a conference. It would been put off two years ago. 2020 2020 was the year that um, it was it was sort of um, a conference. Their 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 plans for a conference were thwarted. Uh, obviously, like most plans for the people had that year and last year, um, so they're having another, another red-hot go uh, on the 16th and 17th of July in Brisbane at the Exhibition and Conference Centre there. Uh, just a little thing that I, I went to a function, wonderful function the other day um, and there was a number of um, corporate, um, uh, reasonably large corporate uh, representatives there. Excuse me. And um it was it was about it was all about sustainability and uh what you know those different companies were looking at to um to improve essentially their sustainability credentials in their businesses. Uh, I, I was asked to um uh present on you know, regenerative farming and, and dare I say sustainability, or as I, I said to the group, you know, really need to be looking at a regenerative kind of a language, a use of 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 language. Uh just a bit more on point as a, as opposed to a sustainable sort of flat my flatlined situ, um, uh, situation type of language that you know a lot of companies and understandably that's it's new and for them it shouldn't be but it is you know so um, sustainability is a is a catchword um, and I just think that uh, you yeah, know any anything any word that you can drop in there instead of sustainable that actually um, identifies an improvement excuse me in environmental ecological um, credentials if that's um you know what with what we we're, we're all aiming for so back to the story we were chatting and a number of the uh, probably uh, probably three out of four of of the um of the of the corporates here as a proportion all said that they were looking very carefully at uh, electric cars <coughs> excuse me as part of their fleet, whether it's trucking fleet or um, you know, they're just offering it to their staff and that sort of thing. And it was it was interesting because I've always had a interest in solar. Um but, you know, ever since the sort of the car thing started, um my thoughts have always been, or my questions and queries have always been, well, so where what are we trying to do generally by having electric cars? I mean, one of the main things that as I understand it is we you know, if you're driving an electric car, you're not burning diesel or petrol in in the um in in the in the motion to propel that car along, which sounds fine. Uh, but you know, i was always inquisitive as to how much, not necessarily petrol or diesel, but how much coal <clears throat> potentially or gas or you know, maybe wind, but that's a whole other story. Um, or solar is actually used in producing electricity. Uh. To then be available to the the charging stations where those cars are then uh, charged up, you know whether that's an R free an RMA one or, or you've got on your house or whatever. I mean that at the end of the day, that electricity that's driving that vehicle has been generated by the burning of most likely or a high proportion uh, of fossil fuels, which, um, yeah. You know, so I'd love to see if anyone can direct me to where a really serious at-arms-length third-party audit's been done on the, um, you know, sort of go-to-woe audit of uh, a car being manufactured and running on petrol or diesel compared to a car being manufactured and running on electricity and sort of, you know, if it's it's the first 12 months of its life, let's just say, and what is the – what's the – Impost the the impact on the environment if we're looking, you know, measuring carbon emissions. And uh, I know that in electric cars, there's many more. Well, from what I understand, you know, rare earth metals in, in the componentry of the of the cells and the the, the electrics of those cars. And with my um, experience with understanding wind farms and all of the things that they present to us, uh, you know, earth, rare earth metals are um, are mainly. Um, uh, mine in China, and the extraction methods are not at all friendly for, to the environment or the people in those neighbourhoods in those regions. Uh, so I guess that's what I would love to find is an is an audit, a really clear, concise audit that identifies the benefits of doing that. Because the other thing that and someone at the at the lunch did mention is the um uh, oh I, know, I might have been after, but anyway um, EMFs, you know, the electric magnetic. Um, frequencies or, or <clears throat> that, that sitting on a battery basically, uh, or a, in a car that is, um has a lot of electricity running through it, there is something in that. Um, Dr. Patrick McManoway talks a lot about that in his um, subtle energy um, workshops He t- that he runs, or was running until he couldn't probably fly over here. So that's another thing I think about is we're sitting in these, right next to these you know, batteries and <clears throat> a lot of electricity, a lot of motion, a lot of Circuitry in these cars, and I just don't know what that does to us as people. I know what it does when you sleep in your bed, and there's a power active power point beside your head. You know, like in a hotel or in your own home. Even um, you'll often wake up feeling very foggy. Um, there's a there's, that's a real thing. Uh, so anyway, so jury's out for me with the electric cars. To be honest, I just don't know what to think of them. Um, is it greenwashing? Is it you know? Is it um, is it actually you know stopping? Generally, less fossil fuels being burnt um, to a point in its lifestyle in, in its lifetime, um, what do you do with all those the componentry when it's finished with? I don't know how recyclable that stuff is. Uh, anyway, just food for thought. Just, just yeah, jury's out on that one. Now, getting to Terry, part two. We it was it was a lovely sort of um, segue from part one, where we talked about his life. But part two, we talked a lot more about what his current activities, plans. What he's excited about that sort of thing, and uh, he um, didn't uh, didn't fail in, in 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 diving really deep. And I really appreciate Terry's um, vulnerability and transparency. And uh, he, he's always been a um, one that gives gives a lot of his time, a lot of his um uh, a lot of it, a lot of effort, you know, and a lot of uh, just sincerity in, in the way he spoke. So I hope you enjoy this part two uh, with. Terry McCosker, as much as I did, listening and sitting with him in the Botanic Gardens there a couple of weeks ago. It's awesome. Part two, Terry McCosker. Well, that, I mean, a principle is a principle because it doesn't change, does it? It can That's be right. it can be whether it's, you know, whatever want to, even what, what do you want to call it, cell grazing, time control grazing, managed grazing in the Territory, the principles apply there as they do at Borowa yep. or your That's poon. Right.
1: Yeah.
0: Um So let's, let's jump to RCS. Of today, just give for those sort of listeners who aren't familiar necessarily with the 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 charter of RCS. Um, And before you do, I'm just going to do a little quick. I mentioned it before. I did I did grazing for profit in about 2005, and the month before I did it, the only reason I went to it was because I did a one day course called Profiting from the Drought. Mm. And I reckon you guys should use that line somewhere when the next drought. Because that gets people going. Are you fucking serious? Yeah. Like, what do you mean? It got me. It got me. The next month of the week, life changing stuff. Um, and then I did the um, uh, uh, what's the one? The next one, not executive link before executive
1: link uh, it was graduate grad link. link. Think,
0: did yeah. the grad, yeah. grad link, link for twelve months, and then did the executive link for three years. Yeah. And I have to say, it's one of the things that that set that created the structure and the friendships and the relationships that um, still exist today that got me on my own regenerative journey, really got me off got off to a wonderful start. Didn't know much about holistic management at all, to be honest. It's just, I guess, it, once you're exposed to one kind of stream, in this, this this case, it was kind of, that was enough. I didn't need to kind of crowd my head with more stuff, you know, it was enough on on that. So, um so thank you, Terry, for creating a business way back then that has influenced. How many people, how many grads have you run through, you reckon?
1: Uh, I'm not sure, actually, but it'll be somewhere around seven and a half, eight thousand, maybe 9,000. Um, that's through the long schools. Yeah. Um, but when you look at number of people through all schools, like short courses and so on, yep. yeah, it's probably ten, twelve thousand, twelve thousand 12,000 more, something like that, I don't know
0: and when you consider i mean I you hear different sort of numbers but is 100 140,000 farmers in australia is that mm. right or something like mm. that i mean that's pretty good that's a pretty fair proportion mm. percentage that have been exposed to this in this this pretty i believe pretty critical information so tell us about rcs now um, terry where where what's your role in the business and kind of where where what what are the sort of the main focus for rcs now
1: I think my role now is sort of more of a bit of a father figure in the company. I don't run it. Um, I've got a really, really good team um, uh, I, in the management team. There's, there's five people there that are just brilliant at their jobs and got the passion and the ability to take it forward. Um, so I don't get involved in the management. Uh, I still sort of help. I guess I'm the keeper of the vision in a way. Yeah. And um, the vision has been the reason for our existence um, for since the early 90s, um, and it's kept us going. It's we've been through bad times, we've been through good times, and and um, like any business, uh, you know, we have our droughts as well. And and I think that just sticking to the vision and knowing why we're in business, um, that's really really important. Um, and uh, so that, yeah, I guess keeper division is probably one of my main roles and can,
0: can you articulate that vision like in in, well, in
1: a, the really short version of that vision is that uh, that we support farmers who are the most noble professionals in the world to deliver on their real purpose which is healthy food production that's the short version we've lived by the long version for 30 years um, and uh, the yeah, I don't know whether you want the long version or not. Yeah, no, you should. should like that, it.
0: Yeah, bloody eyes. Right, right, We're right. in an elevator and I've just rocked in and seen this good-looking old silver-haired rooster yeah. and I'm going, what do you do, mate?
1: <laughs> well, I think uh, in a nutshell we transform agriculture and empower people because um, you don't actually make transformation without empowering the people to make the transformation. We don't make it, you know, and I've always said that um, my role is not to change I can't change agriculture. I can facilitate the change or help the change or guide the change and that's our role. Um, And our real vision is to see um, the soils in agriculture um, becoming healthier, growing organic carbon, um, no bare ground, growing plants that that are healthy, that don't require a lot of props and chemicals to prop them up. Um, with animals grazing those that are healthy and productive and, uh, and, and are maintenance free. Um, we want to see people achieving their goals, their visions, their dreams and doing that forever. Um, we want to see the family farms continue for thousands of years. Um, and, uh, and we want to see them, you know, making profit, having fun, uh, and whatever their level of productivity. Um, production, whether it's cropping, whether it's grazing, uh, whatever it is, um, that they're actually utilising sunlight and rainfall affection effective, effectively, um, and and looking after the ecosystem, and that we can all still be farming in five thousand years' time.
0: I love the reference to <coughs> thousands of years. Um, yesterday, oh, sorry, yeah, yesterday episode fifty three came out on the Regenerative Journey. Nat Kelly. And she's a Peruvian-born, Australian, LA-based actress. There's a mouthful. Um, and she references Indigenous culture's intention of looking seven generations in front. Mm. You know, that's how they make decisions. Yeah. You know? Um, and so that's, that conjures up, you know, that's, I don't know, I can't, you know, how many years is a generation? Is it 30, 40, 70? I don't know what it is, but 1,000 years. That's pretty... That's a, that is a noble cause, isn't it? You know it
1: I mean? is. And I've, and I've always sort of thought that far in advance um, because that's where we need to be thinking. We can't be thinking about tomorrow or, or, or this week. We've actually, when you're running land or you're managing an ecosystem, you've got to be thinking the long term for it. And, uh, and we've got to be thinking generations in front. You know, one of the epiphanies I had once was uh, I was in Argentina and we met a family that had a 700-year vision and, and they were farming 100,000 hectares at that stage and they didn't own any of it and what they said was that because even if they took over a farm on a one year lease, they farmed it as though they were going to farm it for, 7, 000, for 700 years mm. and they said what had happened would then the landowner would come back and say gee we like what you're doing to the land, you can go for another four years and, mm. and the leases would keep getting extended um, and I just loved that idea of having that 700 years, you know, or that much longer vision of what Mm. it is trying to achieve.
0: Um, Talking about achieving things too, Terry, um, you are, let's talk about the conference that's coming up in 16th and 17th of July here in Bris Vegas. not too far from here, isn't it, the exhibition? It's not far from here,
1: is it? That's right. Yeah.
0: Across the river. Tim, when this bloody Kubota... ZD121 gets out of the way. <laughs> Tell us about the conference.
1: We, uh, every 10 years, we well, if we started 20 odd years ago, we ran a, a conference to celebrate 10 years of grazing for profit in Australia. Yeah. And what we wanted to do is look 10 years in advance it's, what is, what's yeah. it coming up? Where do we need to be thinking for Where do we need to be taking our guidance for the next 10 years? And so we brought people like Arden Anderson and Elaine Ingham, you know, saw, you know, the soil food web and soil health and that sort of stuff out here then. And then um, 10 years after that, we did another one and we looked 10 years out again. Where do we go from there? And that's when we started introducing Patrick McManoway and subtle energy yeah, I
0: and, talk about
1: and animal health, uh, sort of human health and things mm. like that coming into the system. And now what we're seeing there's a whole lot of convergence happening globally. And so the name of this conference is Convergence. And we're looking at where's the convergence in microbiomes, for example. We started out in microbiomes and and really there's a massive knowledge converging around microbiomes. There's a convergence of human health and and land health and soil health um, and crop health. So we need to understand how those are starting to come together. Where's that future lie? Um, what's the future economies look like? Uh, What's the future for money? Um, What's the future for us? Where where should we be focusing in the next 10 years to be continuing to lead in regenerative agriculture going forward? And so what we see at the moment is a whole lot of things converging and we want to bring those together and see what comes out of that to give us the direction over the next uh, 10 years.
0: What do you reckon might come out of it? Where, 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 where do you, knowing what you know, you know a fair bit. Um, where what do you see are like, the important focus things things to focus on the next ten years?
1: I don't want to preempt the conference because I really don't, <laughs> I don't. No, no, I really don't know what will come out because we've got some of the best minds in the world. Yeah, coming together. Who are some
0: of them? Zach Bush. Uh, well, Zach
1: Bush. Is he? Is he uh, he's going to be virtual. Yes. Yeah. And, oh, and, and surely you can't
0: you fly over and bring him
1: back. Yeah. You? Well, it's all this – the way we treat COVID is putting them off. And, and, um, you know, John Kempf now, who's one of the world leaders, really, in Regen Ag. Um, uh, Charlie Massey, um, who's who's learnt a lot, I believe, since um, called the reed war and has been working with um, uh, Hawkins Genome um, – Oh, I
0: can see the book, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Drawdown. But, yeah, oh, but on yeah. the new
1: book on regeneration. Yes. And the involvement of regeneration of, of agriculture and regen ag in regenerating the planet. And so I'd really like to learn from Charlie is how do we see that coming together? Yeah. I, what I see is that there's a very narrow focus at the moment on carbon. And carbon mm. is one molecule and it's one thing that affects the climate system, which is only one system on Earth that's in trouble. And so we run the risk at the moment of focusing on this one tiny little thing and forgetting that our oceans are in trouble. There's too much plastic in the oceans. Our health systems are in trouble. Uh, you know, our, our biodiversity is declining. Our soil health declining. So much is going wrong globally. And we're all focused on reducing CO2 in the atmosphere. And I think that there's a real danger in that. So I think we've got to, we've got to step back and be a lot more holistic. Agriculture offers the solutions for so much that's going on in the world right now. Um, and how do we bring that together? How do we help the rest of society heal itself? Um, and we've got to firstly do that by healing ourselves. It's the old physician, heal thyself first. Uh, saying, and, and I think with, with agriculture and farming, that's where we've got to start. We've got to start by healing ourselves, healing our land. Then we can start healing society with for better quality food and, and a better environment to interact with, and all sorts of stuff, and all sorts of learnings that, that people can learn from us. Um, so I would hope that there's a lot of stuff like that, is where the conference um, will start to converge.
0: Well, I mean, to really, I love the love the sort of the the, the concept, the theme of convergence because it's, it's a convergence of ideas and minds, isn't it? Mm. And people, I mean, literally, what a what a lovely thing for people to look forward to to actually converge at a conference. I mean, I can't remember. Like, oh, I went to the Aubrey conference last year, but like that's just people don't do conferences anymore. No. You know what? A, what a wonderful opportunity for people to come together and and yeah. share. It's interesting, um, and it's a it's a great point about. The kind of, you know, carbon's one molecule, and it's in yeah, you know, it's part of a, such a big functioning yeah, you know, ecosystem, ecology, world, global environment, uh, and we forget about so many other things. It's not dissimilar. I don't want to bang on about COVID too much, but it's like you know the the whole idea about that, what was put in place by government mandates and masks and all that sort of stuff was to sort of save lives. And that was the focus. Is like we're going to focus on carbon because that's the thing that's. I yeah. you know oh, no, we're going to focus on this because that's going to say, but but the there was no consideration. Well, if there was, they threw it out the window of all of the 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 other consequences. That's right. Yeah. You know, and and I think we might have mentioned touched on it um, back in Aubrey about you know just the health of people, just the isolation and the you know literally
1: it being isolated kills people. Yeah. You know. Yeah. There's going to be so many downsides to the way this was handled for the next 20, 30, 40 years. Business-wise, just mental. Just, just mental health-wise, yeah. health-wise for yep. children. Yep. You know, locking little kids in a house, not giving them access to this nature that we talked. We started talking about, access to.
0: Well, there was that footage of the 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 of of whoever it was with a big concrete barrier putting it on a on a skate park or something somewhere with it. So the kids couldn't use a skate ramp. So yeah. they, you know, so they yeah. wouldn't sort of weren't drawn to go out there or helicopters cruising around going, you know, get out of the park, go home, whatever it was in Sydney. And the irony was, you know, in the when the floods, so they're out there willy nilly doing that. And the irony of the floods, they couldn't get helicopters there for a bloody week. Yeah. And the ones that did turn up were carting the media around. Yeah. When there were people sitting in their bloody roofs of their homes for three or four days of no food. yeah.
1: yeah. Oh, don't
0: get me started! It's a
1: screwed up society, isn't it?
0: So, sixteenth, seventeenth of July here in Brisbane. Um, we'll put a link in the show notes for for tickets. Um, and I, I'm really looking forward to it because I know in 2020 you had you you had a you had a booked in, didn't you? Yeah. And Zach Bush was going to come back out because he'd been well, there. He'd been there in March that same year.
1: Um, yeah, all the speakers were going to come in 2020. Yeah. Um, so now, unfortunately, a lot of the really key people, the Americans, are not travelling. Um, we may have uh, Jacqueline McGlade. Uh, she may be in Australia. She's um, she's a real guru in um, <clears throat> natural capital. Uh, oh, yeah. Her, her background is incredible. <clears throat> um, and she was head of the uh, EU Environmental um, section for many years then she was the chief scientist in the UN for many years and um, now she's on a crusade to um, help Monetizing and measure natural capital. And um, she's amazing. Uh, and so she's one of our keynote speakers well. Not many people have probably heard of Jacqueline, but no. she's somebody that you're going to hear a lot more of in the future, I think. Um, awesome. Incredible. What, what make, One of the things that makes her incredible, she's a professor at two universities, got almost, I don't know how many degrees, but she lives with her husband, who is a Maasai chief in an African village in Kenya. Wow! So she's grounded. Totally. Not only is she, you know, an incredible scientist, but she's grounded. That's awesome. I didn't know that. And she's a systems thinker. And so is she is she going to be here? No, you're not sure. Well, she's hoping to be out here, yeah. um, and uh, so we're hoping that she's going to be here.
0: Yeah. Um, let's talk about natural capital for a minute, Terry, because I know we had a little joke there before before we started. You know, yeah. your involvement in that that um, element. Um well you've been involved with that element I guess since the the point of conception. <laughs> <laughs> you, there was carbon in you somewhere. Yeah. But your in your interest and your involvement and your influence in uh, I mean in the carbon uh, I mean I use the word carbon market, but I guess the car- the concept of carbon having a value uh, and farmers leveraging that. Um, as you say, and I totally agree. I think that's where you sort of hit it. There's carbon, and there's which is one part of a natural capital kind of um, portfolio, if we can use that word. Tell me about where do you see it going? I mean, you've been let's talk about carbon link because you've been mm. you've been at that for some time, <laughs> and and slogging away, and you know pioneering, and then yeah, there was there was a bit of it. There's been a tipping point,
1: hasn't there? Yeah. I started thinking about carbon in 2000 and um, because we've got a lot of people that have been doing on the regenerative agriculture path that have been putting carbon into soils and I wanted to see them get paid for that. I eventually got around to setting up Carbon Link in 2007. That long ago? Yeah. And we're going to be issuing our first credits this year. Good on you. So I think that and if I'd known then what I know now I never would have started. I was just too naive, like too stupid. Um, well not stupid. And, well no, I've always been stupid. <laughs> <but I'm,
2: laughs>
0: oh, that's right. You're the d man. You know,
1: I am, you know. And I've uh, always uh, but I'm also a risk taker. Um but so, you, I
0: mean you been, But you 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 were one of the pioneers of that yeah, market. Yeah, absolutely. That's not stupid at all. That's bloody no, no, know, no, what is that? It doesn't
1: look stupid. No, right. looking back at how naive I was, um, and what had to be done to get to where we are today. Yeah. Um, you might have balked at oh, it a bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like the cost in time, the opportunity cost, the actual personal cost, all that sort of stuff is yeah. yeah. Um. enormous. So, but, you know, we'll get there this year and we'll be, you know, an instant success after only 20-odd years. <laughs> and, and I think that – so I think where, where we are on carbon is that, firstly, there's a market for carbon, and so that's why there's a lot of talk about carbon now. It's real. Um, and our first guys are going to get issued with carbon this year. And that's exciting because they were first measured in 2016. There's five properties involved there, over 18,000 hectares through Queensland and into New South Wales. They have all had at least two years of drought out of the five. One of them's had two floods. One of them was totally burnt out in the 2019 fires, Um, So they've had everything thrown at them. The the Queensland guys have had, the North, the central North Queensland guys have had pasture dieback thrown at them as well through that whole period. Um, And despite all of those um, obstacles, they have sequestered carbon and they will have carbon credits for sale
0: this year. So through the ups and the downs after that five years,
1: there's a net... There's a net gain. Net gain. Even though on parts of some of their properties, they've actually lost carbon in the soil surface, which is in the top 30 centimetres. Yeah. Um, But, and so we've actually got enough data at the moment to be able to do a bit of economic comparison. And the economic comparisons are interesting. So average net income from carbon across these properties over the last five years per hectare per annum has been around $70 at the current price of carbon,
0: that's if they were to with the net gain. That's net if gain. They, That's the value that's that is a, a, a available to
1: them in theory. Is that? Has that? Yeah, it's gone a bit beyond theory now. There's actually credits now being developed. Yeah, and there's a number on those. So there's still a bit. It's an asset though, isn't it? it? Like it, a seventy dollars per hectare right. of asset, well, yeah, which yeah. could,
0: in you know, be put on the balance sheet somewhere. Yeah, well, it will one be one day.
1: Yeah, yeah. And we're talking millions this year. Yeah. So they'll, these guys who were pioneers um, and stuck their neck out um, and were game to give this a go yeah. back when there wasn't a market, when, there were, you know, it was really dicey. So, anyway, to me, the beauty of what it is is they've been through all the normal stuff that agriculture gets hit with and they've still sequestered carbon and have sequestered enough for it to exceed the value of livestock production over the same period. Wow. And so that the net value of livestock production. Yeah. All right? So if I compare EBIT per hectare per annum over that same five years for those properties to the EBIT per hectare per annum from carbon, yeah. over those years, carbon exceeds ebit really? from livestock production. It's a sleeper, isn't it? It's a sleeper. Now, that's, and that's a subtropical environment. It's probably going to get better as it goes further south. Although productivity gets higher as you go further south as well, so um, I don't know what that yeah. how that ratio will hold as we go further yeah. south in Australia. But to me, that's now been proven um, it works. The practices that people are using work. These were all really good managers. They're very good cell grazers, mm. um, and it's the management practice that does it.
0: Well, that's it. It goes hand in hand. So as, as you know, I'm generalising in some ways, as productivity goes up because of the management, it's actually that management that is, you know, making the, yeah. you know, producing, you know, in a funny way, yeah. um, carbon as well, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's actually banking that carbon. Yeah.
1: At the same time, uh, just recently, we've also, on four of those properties, have measured and valued natural capital. Yeah. And... The average valuation on natural capital on a per annum per hectare basis is about three times the value of the carbon.
0: So it's 70 per hectare... Yeah, of yeah. carbon, uh, same so maybe three for the natural. So when you say natural capital, what what are, what are, what are we also including in that in that, uh, that uh, those assets or those that potential? So
1: those ass- that is including now the trees. So for example, yeah. soil carbon project doesn't include the growth or improvement in the ecosystem through more trees, etc. Um, having more bird species, so having more ground cover, um, having more biodiversity. Um, it also includes social. So th- there are people within that, the, in the pilot project that we're currently running um, with natural capital that are also contributing to the community. Yeah. So they're opening up their farms. They're, they're helping other people learn. And so that has a value as well. as a so- That has a social value. Mm. Um, and there's, you can put a value on that then a lot of that data was collected using satellite imagery plus photographs, records over time. Um, And the difference between the natural capital project and a carbon project is in the natural capital, we've been able to go back into the past and look at, so we can reward the pioneers. Whereas a carbon project, if you've been doing regenerative for 20 years, your carbon project gives you nothing for that. It starts from the moment you baseline. so. Whereas a natural capital, we've got tools and processes to be able to go back into the past. So I think that we're able. I'm hoping now that so it's been through a reasonably rigorous process now to, mm. to put a value on this stuff. The next step is to see can it be marketed? Where's yeah. the market, and is there a is there an appetite? Yeah, and, yeah. and it's got to be a volume market. Yeah, and I'm not talking. You know, a biodiversity subsidy from the federal government, that sort of stuff. I think subsidies out of government don't last. They'll last a political cycle. They're not big enough to make a difference. This stuff's got to be market-driven. Carbon now is being market-driven. To me, over the next three, four, five years, I think we will see natural capital step up Mm. and become as big an item as carbon. And I hope that it is uh, because natural capital includes carbon. Yeah. So if you've done a carbon project and you've got a natural capital project on top of that, you subtract <coughs> the income from the carbon project off your natural capital yeah. project
0: to see what that yeah, well, yeah what what sort of yeah. por, what sort of portion that is. That's right. Well, I'm quite aware of that natural capital project being involved, yeah. and I. Very excited for, for for the the way that it's structured and the, and the potential. As you say, you know, next steps are: um, is there an appetite for that kind of a natural capital value that 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 can be um, leveraged as a farmer and can be you know um, utilized uh, as a someone who who who, who buys that or, or gets involved in that market? So I, I'm I'm really excited about this. it's the most exciting thing I've heard. Coming out of the natural capital space for years, and, and, and as you say, Terry, natural capital is um, all of it, and carbon's a portion. And I remember going to a carbon uh, wasn't even a conference; it was a one-day bloody yarn in two thousand and six or seven in Young at the SNC Club in Young, and I up until probably twelve months ago. Was no wiser with all of that uh, in that period of time from two thousand and six or seven to, to to say last year, just because all we heard about was carbon and the carbon market and what the price of carbon was, and that and the other thing that gets up my goat is um, the as you say subsidies, and, and not too far from that is kind of you know uh, the, the the selling of those carbon credits or a business saying oh we're carbon carbon neutral. Is it carbon neutral when you... Well, I can't, I can't yeah, remember. They're positive or negative. Like, you know, they're like, <laughs> we're, we're actually sequestering, or we are responsible for sequestering more carbon than we're putting out through our production. And then finding out, And this is a farm. And then finding out that they're actually doing that because they're planting trees in India. Like To me, yeah, that's just yeah, ludicrous. Like, yeah, oh, can't yeah. you put trees on your farm or, or, yeah. or, or measure the carbon you're putting into the ground through your grazing or whatever, whatever the natural capital kind of um, yeah. activities. And I just think that is... It's sort of got it, yeah, It's it's just, off, yeah. it's just gone off. It's just gone off off the rails a bit. That's right,
1: and that's that's the risk with picking on this tiny little molecule right out in the edge of stuff. <laughs> Poor old carbon, you know. Um, but yeah, but there is a market for it. It will help drive regen ag, I believe, and oh, for sure. that reason, I'm staying involved in it. But we have we're much more excited about the bigger picture around natural capital um, yeah. and the flexibility we've got around that. So it being a commercial-based pr- process. Mm. It's not bound up in the same amount of red tape that a carbon project is. Mm. Um, and therefore, I think it'll fly much faster and much further. Well, at least I'm hoping that.
0: Well, and I also think it's going to be more, um, uh, <clears throat> not at the whim of, but it's it's involved in a, in a you know, it's a commercial um, uh, public, when I say public as in not government, It you know, kind of tied up, marketplace, which is, you know, it's been tied up for all those years and this seems to me like, you know, anything that it had, you know, got up some speed and actually was successful never started because government got it going. No, that's you know, right. You know, it's always yeah. been... It's private investment and yeah. and in entrepreneurship and 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 adversity, you know, that actually gets it going. And then, you know, you throw some subsidies at it. It's a bit like schools, you know, um, in the Steiner school situation where you know they have a. They had a charter and so on. And then as they sort of got used to be on, on the tee to government getting getting the getting the, the dollars and the funding, it's like things were compromised because they yeah. were so used. And all land care is exactly the same thing. Yeah, yeah. You know. Um, let's talk about um, subtle energy, one of my favourite topics. <laughs> we knew you were going to get to it. Yeah. Tell me, you mentioned Patrick, the yeah. amazing Patrick who I was banging on last night to a few mm-hmm. people about because he's been, he's been to Hannah Minow, he's been to a property of ours up in the Northern Rivers and I've advo- I, I have, a, I have ref, um, referred him to many people. Tell me about that as a, is there going to be subtle energy action at the conference?
1: It so will come into a, into a number of talks. Uh, yeah. So we've got Diane and Haggerty, for example, and Diane and a, a lot of their business is based on using and understanding subtle energy and, and, and working with energies in their business. Um, we've actually got a session with Sarah McCrum uh, on the consciousness of money, mm. uh, and, uh, and she's written a really, really good book on that. Uh, and it will come into – there's a number of topics. It's sort of because of convergence – it converges with a whole lot of other stuff, and you've got Zach Bush. I'm sure Zach will mention it, um, and and several other speakers, um, all you know, understand the energy side of this is just as important as anything else. Is Charlie Messy? Is he into solar energy? Is he doing yeah. much of that? Well, I, I, Charlie doesn't speak about it obviously, yeah. But, yeah. but he is. <laughs> but yeah. but uh, I know he he'd written a chapter for his book. Um, which the publisher wouldn't allow him to publish because it's a bit it was too, too spooky, wow But that <laughs> chapter has now turned up in another book that's been written by an academic in um, in the UK, yeah. and I'm pretty sure Patrick is uh, might be a co-author in that book as well. So with um, permission, yeah, with, yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> they didn't just like get it. No, <laughs> no, 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 it no, no, good. no, no, no. Charlie's, I think Charlie might have a couple of chapters in that book. So yeah, well, yeah, So see. he's actually sticking his head up above the parapet. Um, in that new book, which I'm not sure when that comes out, or read what it's going to be called.
0: Talk us through it, um, Terry. Subtle energy and, and kind of what? Are, what is it, and where does it fit in agriculture? Like, what, what? Why? Why did you get into it? Maybe start there on the personal why did side. I, of I, get it? Into, I got
1: into it because you're a bit I'll of a, a weirdo. That's why. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, well, I was a real <laughs> weirdo. I was at a <laughs> biodynamics workshop. <laughs> oh, really? And there was a set of books there yeah. and I walked up to the books and for some reason or other my hand grabbed um, God it's got a metal block um, a book called The Field by oh, Lynn McTaggart McTaggart yeah and I read that book and I couldn't put it down I thought geez, this is like I'd never thought about this stuff and as I read that I suddenly in my mind things became clearer I could suddenly separate the difference between spirituality and religion. Two entirely different things and the reasons why they're different. And so I was able to grow a bit through that book. And it it taught me that there's a lot of stuff out there that science can actually measure or do stuff with um, but, but doesn't fully understand. And but what I understood from that is that there is a science, and that science is in quantum physics. And so, an understanding for me that there was a there was a science backing it, well then that sort of made it a bit more legitimate. Um, and then we started experimenting with it in RCS. So we introduced um, various groups to little bits of stuff. Um, and one of the gurus we brought out from the States actually started us off on it as well. And he started us, he taught us how to douse. Um, Remember who it was? Uh, Phil Wheeler. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's and, in a few uh, good books. Yeah. And so, uh, and then he introduced us to um, the radionics machines and radionics. And
0: um, How long ago is this, just roughly, like, what are you
1: thinking? About 2,000. Yeah, okay. So uh, 22 years ago, I suppose.
0: That far from. away, that far back. Yeah, yeah cool. Yeah.
1: Well, I've been weird for a long time.
0: and so <laughs> When uh, you started getting D's, you started getting a bit weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, well, maybe uh, it was when you fell off that horse.
1: Yeah, that might have been <laughs>
0: it. Yeah. When you were three, <laughs> might have knocked your
1: head. <laughs> <laughs> um, yep. Yeah, so then we started mucking around with it in RCS and, and uh, I got a bit of an interest in it. But I guess one of the things that really switched me was one day... I'd finished teaching a course somewhere in New South Wales. I think it was a grazing clinic or something, and there was only one person left at the end of the day. And anyway, so I said to her, well, why don't let's have dinner together. So we did, and we were talking, and, and she said she was a psychic. And that sort of interested me a little bit, and for some reason or other, we started talking about our son, and our, our son, Sean, who we went to the interview with in the Northern Territory... Mm. Um, died while we were in the Northern Territory, hadn't been there long and and uh, he he drowned. And so I'd never probably never really grieved and I anyway, I I just buried myself in work to try and get around that. And um, anyway she was she said, Oh So he came up and she just said to me, he's here. And I said, What do you mean he's here? She said, He's right here in the room, he's right here and she said He's been waiting for you to talk to him mm. for twenty odd years, yeah. and um, I thought, righto. So I went home and I talked to Pam about it, and, and we had a big cry about it, and it was the first time we'd actually been able to talk about him. Mm. And um, anyway, I said, righto, I want to sign, and so we went. We we're visiting his grave not long after that. And the wind started to blow and my hat blew off. And I just sort of out of the blue said, oh, mate, can you stop the wind blowing while I go while I get my hat? And the wind just stopped. <laughs> there <laughs> it was. Just stopped like that. Yeah. I went yeah. and picked my hat up, yeah. put it back on, got it, went back, and the wind started blowing again. And I thought, right, that's one. Yeah. Later that day, we were going to the Woodford Folk Festival and we stayed, went to a little property outside Kilcoy and they had all these rondavels. And they were, they were, which is a round African house. Right? And each one was themed with an African animal. And they put us in the giraffe rondavel And the giraffe was his favourite, favourite mm, animal. Yeah. And he was buried with a giraffe. Wow. Not like a toy one. Yeah. And then I said, that's two. We're driving home after that two days later. And my brother was in front of us. And we got towards Jinjin and he called me up on the phone and said, do you want to pull in for a meal? And we said, yep. So he pulled into a pub we'd never been in before. And we walked into the dining room and there on the wall was a picture of a giraffe. And I said, that's three. That'll do me. And so from then on we talked to him and some of the stuff that he was able to do for the family, and we talked to the girls and said, look, your brother's available for you. Um, to talk to. Um, he's and she said to me he's very powerful, a very powerful spirit. Uh, this this medium. Anyway, and he was. Like some of the stuff he could do was just phenomenal. And um, you know, I don't know whether you want to go into some of the stories, some of the things he did, but it was
0: no, just no, no, let's if you if you're happy to go there, I mean this is this for me is some of the most important stuff that that needs to be said and people need to hear, I think.
1: I will go there because if people are grieving the loss of somebody, there's stuff in here that's helpful. For that reason, I'll go there. Totally. Um, Kelly, our eldest daughter, who works in RCS, now runs the show at home, one of our senior management. She was in Spain and she was walking the Camino, Anyway, she was wandering along and taking photographs and ginning around and knowing Kel, she would have started on the trail late for the morning and and it and it got dark and she had no idea where she was or where she what she could do or where she could go. And she didn't panic, she sat down and she spoke to Sean and said, Sean and we just speak to him like he's there. Yeah. Mate, you know, I'm lost. I need to find a town. Um I need to find where to go tonight. Give me a hand. And within probably 10 minutes, she heard this little bell ringing. And these two little dogs came out of the darkness and one of them had a a bell on its collar. And it came up to her. They both came up to her. And then they turned around and they walked off. And she said, all right, well, there's my sign. I'll follow the dogs. So she followed them and they they got ahead and, you know, they were in the dark and she could hear. So she followed the sound. The bell. At one stage, they got too far ahead and she couldn't hear the bell. So she just stopped the getter, said to Sean, I can't hear them. Um, Can you send them back? And back came the dogs. And so she followed them and she got to the end of a village and then she knew where she was and where she had to go. And she said, the dogs just vanished. Anyway, just after that, Kel was telling us the story and then Stace was looking for... She was, she's a naturopath, and she's looking for some premises in Gladstone to set up a holistic practice. And she'd found those premises in a, in a bigger building that was set up exactly like she wanted. Um, but I think it was going to be... No, it wasn't set up like she wanted. It was open, and then she designed it the way she wanted it, and it was going to cost her 50 grand to do the fit-out. And she rang me up in tears and said, Dad... I can't afford a 50 grand fit-out. And I said, all right, no way. worry. I said, sit down tonight and have a chat to Sean, see what he can do. Mm. The next morning, the real estate agent rings up and said, Stace, the, the people three doors down from that one in the same building um, rang me last night. They want to break their lease in a month's time. Um, and that, that office was once set up as a doctor's surgery. And uh, would you be interested in having a look at it? <laughs> she walked in, had a look at it, and it was set up as she had designed wow. the one sort of two buildings away within the same set of, you know, the same same set of office blocks anyway. It was perfect. And it was absolutely perfect. It mm-hmm. just needed to be cleaned up. So within 24 hours, he delivered on that. So then I said to him, I sat down and I said, mate, you, you've done a fantastic job. The, For Kel and Stacey, I said, "Um, what about you give Ros a hand? And so... You you gave him a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) um, Within two weeks, she'd had a transfer to the school that she wanted to go to, Mm. to the position she wanted, and her husband had a $10,000 rise. Wow. How, How... And that sort of stuff just, when we asked he would deliver
2: looking for more information to assist your regenerative journey come join Charlie and his guests around the kitchen table an online community of supporters with exclusive access to the Regenerative Journey interview transcripts, live online Q and A sessions, a chance to engage with other like-minded people, and more, go to www.charliarnett.com.au/forward/slash/the-kitchen-table, and we look forward to sharing a yarn with you. Now let's get back to this week's episode. And
0: just getting back to the spirit group we have, and we we talk about you know nature spirits and elementals and. Mm. And there's plenty I can't see them, but they're, I'm sure they are all over. seen them a
1: couple of times. Have you? Yeah, yeah. Nature spirits I've seen when I really concentrate, I can see them.
0: Well, that's a and, that's um, a I don't know if honor's the right word, but clearly they only do that when they reckon the the observer can handle it. So that's fantastic. There's a great book I picked up the other day, Ogilvy Crombie. If yeah. you know him, yeah, I fascinating yeah. stuff. Yeah, I, I found it. I started a most place the other couple of days ago, and it yeah. just jumped out at me. Hadn't heard of him, and I just i got goosebumps just thinking about it. But, you know, yeah. and, and the message there, and he, you know, talks to Pan. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah. is the, they're there, they're just, and as are as angels and archangels and so on, they're just looking to help, and all, they're just like literally standing around going, yeah. give me something to do, because right. that's my gig.
1: Our problem is we're too ignorant to ask. Yeah.
0: How, how, stupid.
1: how? I mean, is there kind
0: of a protocol or an etiquette, you know, when one wants to um, approach or, you know, engage with um, a loved
1: one that they've lost or? Well, with Sean, it was just a conversation, just whenever it was necessary. I used to use him when I was flying. So if I was flying and I got into a tricky situation or there was a bit of cloud around, I'd, I'd just say, Sean, can you just open it up so I can get back down the safe way? And. She'd just open up like there'd be holes there whatever I needed a hole in the clouds there'd be one and like he could he could do stuff really really quickly um, and it'd be just a normal conversation I didn't have to get into any space or anything like that but to talk to nature spirits Aboriginal spirits tree spirits um, a lot of those things I find uh, or animal spirits yeah. um, I find I have to Bring myself into a sort of a fairly yeah, meditative type of state. Okay. Uh, try and get into the alpha state. Yeah. Um, well, how do you and do?
0: Did you? What do you? What, what do you do? Is it breathing? I, Is it?
1: Well, I did a course on alpha dynamics, and that sort of taught me how to get into the alpha state fairly quickly. And um, so I still have some of that ability. Um, I don't practice it enough, but. Um, it sort of again it comes back to intention yeah, and you just got to shut off everything and when your mind's quiet then you know that you can actually start focusing and sometimes it might take you half an hour or so to get to it sometimes it might mm. take you minutes to get to that state um, so I find to talk to nature spirits but sometimes it can be really fast and sometimes it comes to me so um, one of the most beautiful experiences I've ever had was um three years ago I was in the States and I was on a big ranch, this guy had six hundred thousand acres of country and we met with him for dinner the night before and there was a group of us driving around and anyway he he kept he'd raised the wolves and he he said I'm losing six percent of my herd every year to wolves and he said I um I've the the animals, the cattle, they've got no mark on them. They're not eating them. He said, "I don't know what it is, but I'm finding animals dead, and I'm sure it's the wolves." And he said, "I've I've sat out at night with a rifle, waiting for the wolves to come up the track." And he said, that. "And then I go to bed and I look out the window, and they'll come up the track, but they didn't come up the track while I was sitting there with the rifle." And he and anyway, he said, "I'm," he said, "We see him, we'll shoot him," and and he. He just kept going on about it. Anyway, mm-hmm. after he'd done it a couple of times, I just quietly said to him, I think I can do something about that. And he just ignored that and kept going and then came up the next morning and I said, oh, I think we can do something about that. And He just kept going and ignored it. But that happened three or four times. Anyway, we're driving back to the homestead and we're going to leave the property. The next minute, I get this thing going bang in my head that just says you have to talk to us before you leave the property, Ah. and I knew it was the wolves. And he's sitting beside me. There was people in the back. I didn't want to embarrass him, so I (laughs) quietly said to him, "Look, I think I can do something with the wolves." I said, "When we get to the homestead, I need to go off quietly, and I need to talk to them, and I need to negotiate with them." Mm. But I'm going to do a negotiation. And for it to work, whatever I negotiate, you have to be prepared to stick to. Do you want me to do this? And he said, "Yeah, yeah, I'm happy for you. To do that." So we got back to the homestead, and I just wandered up to the edge of the scrub, and like it was instant. I didn't have to get into any state because they were so wanting to have a conversation. Yeah, and they for some reason they knew that I'd been thinking wolves for 24 hours and so they knew that they got that message and then they contacted me and said you've got to talk to us mm. and so so I sat down and I I said right you know you know why I'm here yep like the answers were coming back just instant and there were four uh, packs and I was communicating with the male and female alphas in each pack I was dealing with four packs at once so eight animals Wow. And all, all coordinate. They were just all coming back instantly. And so I said, right, this is you know, this is a negotiation. Yep. Um, you and you know that you, that there's been animals dying. Yep. Um, so I said, right, from the perspective of the owner, you cannot. This is the what the deal, the deal. is going to be. You cannot chase them, scare them. Um, eat them or, or or anything like that right um, I went through a series of things that uh, conditions yeah conditions that they, they couldn't do do you agree with that yep do you understand that if you break that he has the right to shoot you or poison you yep understood um, and it just went really smoothly and really fast and then and then I said, is there anything you want in return? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was going to say, I've got to get to that bit. Yeah. And the answer instantly came back, yes. Yeah. And then I'm sitting there thinking, what the hell is it? Like, I had no idea. And then they told me, they said, we want access to all the water. Oh. And the emphasis was on all. And he just put in 30 kilometres of pipe and, t- and troughs right through the landscape. Right. And they wanted access to the troughs. They didn't want to have to walk. 15 miles back to a spring or a yeah. creek somewhere, they wanted access to the troughs where the animals were. So I agreed. Mm. And um, and anything else? No, that's it. And there was only one point in all of that where there was one hesitation from one animal and it hesitated for probably a second, a second and a half. Wow. Before agreeing. And that was agreeing to be shot if they broke the rules. Mm. But the communication was just fast and clear and perfect. And you could see, like, I could sense they were sitting there. And they said to me, they said, this, We've been waiting for some human to talk to us for so long. And, and I thought, what a privilege. You know, I was mm. picked out of the crowd to talk to them. And I, ne- I never saw them. Didn't know where they were. They were somewhere in the landscape. You don't have to be. It's subtle energy. It can work over distances. Anyway, the coincidence in this is I went back and said to him, you know, what the deal was. And I said, you have to agree to this. None of your staff now, nobody that comes onto this place can do anything to harm wolves. Well, the deal deal will be off. Well, the deal will be off. Mm. I said, that's the deal. Anyway, that was August. And in November that year, Nicole Ragland was out here from the U.S., and her boyfriend, who was a lawyer, happened to be on the property of this bloke, Nelson, um, and they were negotiating with some Indians about some water rights or land rights and stuff. Anyway, I said to Nicole, oh, ask um, whatever his name was, uh, ask, ask him to ask Nelson whether he's had any trouble with the wolves. Yeah, no, yeah. And because uh, I mean, what a coincidence! But here she was just visiting Australia and never planned to visit Australia. Yeah. She just happened to be her. Her boyfriend happened to be on that property, happened to be talking to this <laughs> particular bloke. And I'm at the other end of it. Yeah, yeah. And they yep. were – the reason it came up is they'd been talking about me. Yeah, right. Over, like, yep. the two guys in the States. And um, Nicole joined the dots. And I said, go back and ask them, uh, has, has he had any trouble with the wolves? And, and she said, what's that about – <laughs> but I had to explain to her; she didn't want to ask anyway. And need nothing, had, had not lost the beast. And how long had that have been? What was that? Now, that have been four or five months at that stage. Yeah, right. Nice. Um, I yeah. haven't had a check in with him since. I had a check in with the wolves recently. Uh, they contact me again. Oh, really? Was, how, did,
0: know, how did How did that come come through? Was it just it just like, come
1: through? It just says like it's just it's just a thing. Just talk to us. Yeah, right. It just, I don't know where it is or where yeah. it comes from or what it is. Yeah. It just happens. Um, but but you, It doesn't happen very often. Like That doesn't happen to me all the time. That's a very rare thing.
0: Do you think you have to have a certain sensitivity, appreciation,
1: acknowledgement? Like, or, I mean... Well, the process wasn't new to me. So I, you know, we have a lot of dangerous snakes at home and I have a lot of grandkids... And so I've negotiated with our snakes for for a lot of years now. Yeah, and for the and I have a we have a boundary that I have negotiated with the snakes as to where the, the venomous snakes can come to. Oh yeah, and they're not past. But I'll allow the the uh, carpet snakes and the tree snakes and the non venomous stuff to come in wherever they like around the house. But the venomous guys to stay away. And. I have not seen a venomous snake inside there other than than little ones. Now, every so often I find ones that are about a foot long and I've realized that the snakes don't pass that through the next generation. So, it's only the generation I'm talking to. Yeah. But when I talked to the wolves, yeah. I was very conscious and I said to the pack leaders, "You guys Me have too. to pass this down through the generations. We want I want you and this is part of the deal." That this message goes down with generations, and 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 the pack leaders will control the pups and the and the, the adolescents, and and they agreed to that. Whereas with snakes, you don't get that same agreement. And
0: because because they're, they're not like packs. They're, they're, no. they're, there's not like you're there's off no, kid. Yeah, you're no? gone. Like yeah.
1: you lay the egg and you're out. yeah. So there's not. There's so not. the only venomous snakes I find. Now, our stuff's about a foot long, little babies. And they don't know the deal. They don't know the deal. Mm. And I had a brown snake one day. I was, you know, it was a group of rocks, and I was just playing around near the rocks, and he just reared up, and it could have struck me. Like, he was about six inches from me and didn't and just went straight back down into the rocks. Was he in in your house zone? Yeah, he was in the zone. Like, he shouldn't have been there. He was a brown, and Uh, he shouldn't have been there. Do you think
0: he was like he knew the deal, but he was being a bit cheeky?
1: No, he, didn't know, no, the he deal. didn't know the deal. He was too young. Yeah, right. He didn't know the deal, but he didn't strike. And um, that's – because the deal I've got with them then is they've got – because we've got 30 acres, right, so they can have the rest. Yeah. So what I say to them, look, there's wild – there's other animals out there. That you can have all the insects you like, yeah. whatever you like, but part of the deal is you do not um, attack or affect any of our domestic animals yeah. or any humans that walk into your space. Yeah, and one morning I had a black snake and the, the boundary is right beside my veggie patch and there was a black snake that had come right to, he was within about two or three inches of where that I'd set that boundary, mm. the psychic boundary, mm. and he was just sitting there and he just watched me in the garden. I had no <laughs> fear of him at all and, um, and I went away and I came back and he was still there and then... After probably ten to fifteen minutes of him of sitting there, he turned around and went away <laughs> from where that boundary was.
0: Yeah, right. He was respectful of he was the boundary. Was respectful of the boundary. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love that shit. And it, 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 and back to Abercrombie um, Ogilvy, um, Crombie, the the first chapter of the book, you know. Um, Oh shoot! Um, experiences was it experience with with nature spirits. I can't remember the one. Um, he says he, he's in the he's in the Botanic Gardens in Edinburgh,
2: mm.
0: and he's sitting there and he's sort of chilling out with the beech tree behind him, and f- you know, hearing this, f- sort of feeling and hearing the sap in the trunk, and the, you know, he's really chilling with the with the tree. And anyway, he sees this thing as you know jumping around and comes up to him and doesn't think he can see him, and whoa, you know, hello he can see me and then the first question that the little fawn asks him is why are you humans
1: so stupid yeah.
0: <laughs> which is kind of you know I love their childlike kind of way and they're they're just that's just a, that that's that's their question because that just it just comes out of their mouth you yeah know? there's nothing nothing hidden
1: there and that's what I see when I see the nature spirits I see these little things. Jumping and excited to be talking, dancing, yeah. and to be asked to help, they get so excited. Yeah, Look, it's, they're very excitable little things, and uh, it's amazing the excitement level.
0: Um, let's do a quick. I'm just conscious of the time. You are a champion for talking. Oh, this is definitely a two parter, and I'm hoping my little generator behind the bushes isn't going to run out. But I do want to just touch on quickly. Um, to oh no, suddenly, well, Patrick McMahon away, I'm going to put some notes for Patrick in the. Um, in the show notes because I've done two. Of his he's um subtle energy level one subtle energy yeah. courses. Yeah. Uh, the first one I did was actually at the um, Gaylong Monastery near Burua mm. which is fascinating. Um, and then uh, so we, well, I'll pop him in there. Read all about Patrick. It's fascinating stuff. Such a lovely, lovely man. And the first time I really appreciated the use of the word grace and reverence. You know? Yes, because yes. he just like. Yeah, that's just him. All the time, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's just. Is it grace. when? When are we going to bring him out again?
1: When's he allowed? Oh, uh, I don't know when he's allowed. We'll get him back when we can. I hope I, so. I don't want to risk him having quarantine or anything. No, and I guess. I'm I guess pretty that'll... sure he'll be a non vaxxer Yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> I reckon. And one, of the, I was telling the guys last night about um, at the. Uh, I think it might have happened in both of the courses. How we had you know, dinner and drinks and so on. And the wine, like changing the taste of the wine, yeah. that was that was that was that was yeah. hysterical. It was so funny. You'll have to go to his – listeners. You'll have to go to his course if you want to know what we're talking about. But it is such a good use of three days of your time. Um, the other thing, oh, last kind of thing, before we wrap this main part up, we've only got like a little quick ten minutes after that, Terry. Um, there's so much more that we could be talking about. Um, we have covered a huge amount. Uh, I want to leave it there. Let uh, landmark. Can we yeah. can we just touch on that for a minute? Yeah. Because it's interesting how, um, and sometimes I discover it in the interview, and sometimes I knew already because you kind of get the vibe of my guests that have done landmark. And we're not talking landmark, the old landmark of. I'm talking landmark forum. Forum, or yeah. Landmark education. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I did landmark, uh, I reckon it would have been in the 90s. Um, and since then, I've encouraged all our staff to do Landmark. All my kids have, well, I think all my kids, I think one hasn't actually. She's got away with it. Um, oh, not anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, um, but, and Pam, so we've all done um, Landmark. And to me, it was a, a massive release. It just removed a whole lot of pressure from my mind. Um, a whole lot of rubbish doesn't need to be there Um I've found it really, really powerful. Um, it's been life-changing for some people. I've encouraged a lot of people to do landmark. Uh, others have found it just too confronting, and probably too shut down to actually get anything out of it. Um, so, do you want to
0: explain, like, without going into all the detail, like, what, what, what's what, like, what's not so much the technique, but what, what, what's special about the way that they can kind of.
1: Well, the Where, analogy, where's the turning uh, point in there? The analogy they use is peeling the the rings off the onion, you know. And we're all got stuff we carry around with us, and and at various stages of our lives, we get rid of various rings, and hopefully by the time we're ready to disappear, we're just about we're just about back to the core of the <laughs> onion, you know. Um, nothing, there's nothing left. <laughs> uh, and uh, but I, but they take you through process. It's really about process, and it's. Uh, you know, my theory of it is that the worse your childhood is, the more you get out of the landmark forum, which is the first course. Um, mm. And I think that – and if you've had a really brilliant up, upbringing, then there, you've, there's always stuff you can deal with. Um uh, But I've had people come back and just say, oh, no, there was nothing in that for me. There was nothing I could learn out of that. And I just think, geez – that's a closed mind, that's a really tight onion. Um, yeah.
0: and I don't know many people who've done that though. Like yeah, you who've know, like yeah. come out, I know someone wanted to kind of got to smoke over the first day and went, probably went, oh, shit, this is too much. I'm going to just bloody explode and they've sort of, they've, they've bailed. But Yeah, um,
1: I always say to people, get through the first two days. You'll You'll wonder, I always say you'll wonder why I would have recommended it for the first two days, but hang in because the real benefit comes the longer you stay. So So, don't walk. Yeah, hang in. It's very American in the way they do it, and that's very off-putting to a lot of Australians, Um, but that's part of the process.
0: Yeah, challenging. to
1: understand what's pressing your buttons. Yeah. Why is it pressing your buttons? Why do you allow that to press your buttons? Um, And it can only annoy you if you allow it to annoy you. So in other words, you're choosing for that to annoy you. And that's really one of the, th- the things you learn is that how you respond choice. is actually how you, is your choice. Yeah, you know? and what you've chosen, how you've chosen to respond to any circumstance at any time of the day or at any point in your life, um, and it, it's how we choose to respond. And sometimes it's just habit or it's old systems that that give us that response. But um, but we can break that, you know, by choosing how we respond to things. And we, we
0: we choose to attach meaning to events in our life that really yeah. stick with us, don't they? That's correct. You know, yeah.
1: from, from childhood. Yeah, and, and it's, when they explain it, there's a lot of good reason for that. So as a child, you have to figure out a way to behave to get through the world, to, to survive. And so an event will come along, one simple little thing will come along and, and you will... That will create a behavior in you, which you'll carry with you for the rest of your life. A decision you made when you were four year old or something, um, which doesn't actually uh, work very well for you for the rest of your life. No. And, um, yeah, one of the ones I really remember along those lines as an illustration of that was a, was a woman who felt very unworthy and, um, and not good enough. And she said when she was about four or five, um, her mother was coming home with the shopping one afternoon. And so she hid in a cupboard in the hallway. And Mum's loaded up with all the shopping and comes through the door, and this little kid bounces out of the door. You know, mm. surprise, what Mum! Joy. Surprise drops every Mum drops mm. everything, and and got up this little kid for scaring her and so on. And then, so the little kid thought, right, I'm not good enough, mm. and so I need to find a different way to behave. I can't do that anymore. I had to behave in a different way, and for the rest of her life, she behaved in a different way, mm. and and then through the process, actually tracked that behaviour all the way back to that incident. And so it's that sort of stuff I think is very powerful if you can go back and track out, track down some of this stuff. You know, um, one of my biggest issues, which we haven't talked about actually, is money. And I have a, a what's called a very poor money blueprint. And our money blueprint is determined by our upbringing again while we're very, very young and it's around the language we hear when we're being brought up and it sets the tone of our subconscious. So if we hear things like money doesn't grow on trees, you know, rich people are evil, they've taken from the poor to get rich, you know, they're greedy, um, you know, all this stuff, and I've identified over 200 of these phrases around, that are negative around money. We grow up with some of that stuff and we, we create a subconscious belief system around what we're allowed to earn in terms of money. And I've done a lot of work on that as well, and uh, and, um, I've shifted it a bit, but um, I know that I still have a fairly poor money blueprint.
0: It's kind of, it's a worthiness thing, isn't it, I guess? Isn't it like I'm not worthy to earn more than whatever or, you know, the is it kind
1: of... It's not about not worthy because I think I'm worthy, But it's about being able to accept cash. Yeah, that there's a sub. So what happens is that if you're, let's say your your blueprint was at a hundred thousand a year earnings, right? Yep. And you're below that, everything will sail along, and you'll start to go really well. Say you're in business, right? Things will go really well, and then you'll get well above that hundred thousand a year earnings, and then your subconscious will self sabotage and bring you back down below. You'll Mm. do stuff that actually. He's knocks you right back down below that hundred thousand, yeah. yeah. and then, and that that hundred thousand will grow with inflation. It grows over time, but and then we we tend to fluctuate around up and down over that. And I got to a point in my life where I read about this stuff and I realised what was happening, and I just got sick of it. And uh, I, I I was given a book for nothing. It was called The Millionaire's Mind. I think it was called. Oh, I read yeah. that, but in the back of the book was a free. Um, seminar, but the seminar was in um, Cincinnati, it, Northern California, anyway.
0: Yeah, somewhere, yeah. 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 Um, where's Mowing? Not, not your time, time zone,
1: anyway. Yeah, anyway. So I jumped on a plane and I flew.
0: Oh, seminar as in, because oh, I guess yeah. it wouldn't have been Zoom back
1: a, then. No, no, no. It was a, <laughs> this is back in the old days. Um, is it in person? Yeah, yeah. It was a three day workshop oh. on overcoming this money blueprint stuff. Yeah. So I jumped on a plane on a Thursday, arrived over there on a Thursday, jumped into this course on a Friday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, flew home again on a Monday, and the Yanks couldn't believe that you'd fly all the way to the states to do a free course. Yeah, you know, yeah. But that's how good my money blueprint was. <laughs> <laughs> it was free, but um, it just. Cost but me. I'm not going to spend it an extra cent. Five by bloody, yeah. It must be five grand to get there and back. Yeah, but it really didn't shift my my subconscious. And what did was one day we're sitting down and my board was saying to me, well, how much money are you going to make this year in RCS? And I said, oh, we're, not going to, we're not really going to make any money. And I said, that's not the purpose of RCS. The purpose of RCS uh, yeah. is to change agriculture. Yeah. And the board said to me, you got a problem, boy. They, And they organised and individually paid for me to go and see a shrink. <laughs> and I spent five hours with mm. a shrink working mm. on my money blueprint. Of mm. Working at the subconscious level,
0: did the that did, did the shrink? So the shrink, you kind of knew that was the paradigm needed to be shifted. Well, that expert in this sort of thing, yes. this, this yeah, he thing? was a
1: shrink that works with uh, share traders. Oh, okay, working on again, it's just that the money blueprint when you sh- when you're trading, um, and you know, being able to get back up again after a fall or be uh, yeah. or accept a loss and all those yeah. sort of things. So, but that was his specialty. And um, what was what, any any sort of tips, tips well, you remember? It, it worked for me because it, we actually did it through meditation and he took me into meditation, several meditations and took me right back into my past and we were able to identify exactly where a lot of that um, the, the thinking or the, the blueprint Belief, was yeah. and where it had come from and then we were able to um, turf it out and that, that did make a difference still not brilliant well, I, I, listen, I, there's
0: an interesting podcast. I can't remember the name of it. It's a lady in the States who she talks in millions all the time and she's throwing around. It's almost, I mean, it's maybe that's part of my money blueprint. So it sounds vulgar in a way the way she talks about it mm. in my mind, but, but, but she talks a lot of sense, you know, and she talks about the, I guess that's maybe where I got the worthiness thing from. It's like, you know, and, and the intention and the, 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 the um, affirmations that she talks about, you know, about bringing it your way. You know, and actually, sort of, it's I guess it's a law of attraction kind of thing too. She's putting in there, but she's like ball breaker, but she's kind of she kind of gets the intentional kind of um, side of it all as well. You know?
1: Yeah, well, I I got a lot out of Sarah McCrum's book, um, Love Money, Money Loves You, and it's about the consciousness of money, and it's a book that was channeled to her by the energy of money, and it talks about humans in the third person. You humans, like you, yeah. you your nature spirits talk about us. You just don't <laughs> know. You don't know how to handle us. You don't know how to talk to us. You don't know how to deal with us. And it's a very powerful book. Love, money.
0: Money loves money you. Money loves you. Okay. And Sarah will be a keynote speaker at the yep. conference. Yep. Cool. Um, Terry, I think we – I reckon – no, I reckon we give it up. It's bloody – we're doing a Joe Rogan. It's three hours. I can't believe oh, it. Jesus. Um Jesus. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it is. And we'll just do a quick little one to wrap it up. Um, yeah, I know. It's incredible. But, well, I'm not, I'm not surprised because you are such a fond of information and it's a lovely little spot here. We've escaped the sun, or I have at least. Um, for those who – this will be a two parter for sure. If for those who um, wanna hear a bit more of Terry or some some point some specific questions, um, and you're not a Patreon member, just sign up to Patreon. Get on our website CharlieANick.com.au and for a cost of two coffees uh, a month that you probably didn't even need, you can get some trans- transcriptions of all the um, interviews, um, monthly webinar with um, one of the guests. Each, each month we have a webinar with um, the guests or the previous or future guests of the Regenerative Journey. I do a weekly video, a little bloggy thing as well, a vlog, I think that would be, and, and a communication and community of like-minded people extra stuff. So you guys are going to get the, the next bit with Terry. Thank you everyone for being on the, on this thing. This this is my longest by about an hour. I'd have to say, um, but not surprising. And Terry, I really appreciate your, um, the conversation that you just took it where you felt and you were comfortable to take it to go, take, take it. Um, we went everywhere and I think that's really important and it just shows. And, uh, I, I trust the listeners and the viewers on YouTube, um, it gives them probably only really a snippet of what you've been up to for the last however many decades. And um, Terry, Terry's actually I think about 110, but he's but he looks he looks a lot younger just because of his in the way he lives the biome the the bathing with his family all those years ago. Um, he does look incredibly youthful. So Terry, thank you for your honesty and your your vulnerability and um, and and just the wonderful stories you've shared. And for anyone who wants to hear more,
1: go to Patreon. Thank you, Charlie. And I think one of the uh, things i got to give credit to for my health and uh, longevity is my wonderful wife, Pam, and my children and yes. the relationships that we all have. It um, well, makes I, a hell of a
0: difference. Well, I know as a little sign-off that uh, one thing that RCS and Raising for Profit and, and the Executive Link and all the, all the support Programs you guys um, offer. Um, one of the things that stood out for me uh, when I moved into that space was the importance of people. That that wasn't something that was really front of mind. It was all sorts of other things, but the importance of good people, family connection, community contribution, and and having good people on your team. And so that's been, you know, our focus for for many years now. And um, uh, always room for improvement but I'm really I'm really pleased that that was you know introduced to you by you and your team and uh, I can't emphasize how important that is to us so thank you Terry and next week on the regenerative journey uh, I speak with Bart Davidson I caught up with Bart at the Maya grazing field day at Wilmot in ebor in sort of New England New Year New, of New, New, New South Wales. Uh, he is a wonderful fellow, complete polymath, um, such such an intellect, and it was wonderful to catch up with Bart early that morning before he had other other activities, other um, other engagements, and uh, grateful for his time. And I'm uh, grateful I had an opportunity to, to interview Bart Davidson next week on The Regenerative Journey.
2: This podcast is produced by Rhys Jones at Jaeger Media. If you enjoyed this episode... Please feel free to subscribe, share, rate, and review. For more episode information, please head over to www.charliearnett.com.au.